coaches. Welcome back to another Research Tuesday. Greg, real quick, what has been the most impressive thing that you've seen in the facility with your athletes in the last week since we last talked? Like, what's something that somebody did that you were like, damn, I was not expecting that? Uh, yesterday, we did an assessment. Yesterday, we did an assessment with, uh, I believe he is 25, 26-year-old male uh, who played football. Uh, and American he, football or soccer, football? American football, okay. American football. He, uh, so he's no stranger to lifting. He had a 2.7 strength to weight ratio. Hmm. He was able to express, uh, like 90%, about 98% of his, uh, strength in under hundred milliseconds. And then I was like, Hey, would you mind just doing like a standing jump as high as you can? I was just like, take a step and jump. And he literally, he must've jumped probably like a yard into the air, like, like just flat. And I was just like, Oh God. And I was like, okay, what are your goals here? And he's like, I have no endurance. He was like, I played football. We literally ran for five to 10 seconds and that was it. And so he wants to run a Spartan race. So he has the muscle, he has the strength, but like, you know, most people don't walk in with stuff like that. Most people walk in with some kind of injury, some kind of issue. I used to be an athlete, blah, 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 all those different stories. But to just be like, hey, take a jump. And he jumped, you know, almost a yard high. I was like, let break out the force plates, break out the chief light, break it all out. And then I was like, nah, he knows what he's done. He knows where he is. I don't need to see all that. So that's probably the most impressive. That's awesome to hear, man. Like, yeah. See, and, and it's interesting too, you brought up the fact that like there's no endurance and it's like, you know what, that's a good point. You know, let them get something that they've never got. And yep. reminds me of when we had John Wellborn on the show and he was talking about how he wished he would have done more aerobic training when he played in the NFL. Like he wished he would have like actually addressed it. So anybody that's listening to it right now, make sure you're not neglecting, you know, the, the energy system stuff. Cause we're going to talk right now about load time and load speed relationship in resisted sled sprint exercise. This is coming from a 2023 article from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research from the NSCA. I'm going to full disclosure, uh, Greg, I think you're going to have to carry this one because I read it, but any strength coaches out there that are maybe reading research and you're having a hard time reading it because it's difficult for you, you're not alone. Like I read this and yeah. I was like, dang, I like some of these words I had to read, go back and see what the, um, whatchamacallit, like what the what's the word I'm looking for? Like the abbreviation, what it meant. Like, so yeah. I'm going to let you kind of, kind of lead and I'm going to chime in with it. Well, that's one of the big things, you know, in research, you have to, what is it? I mean, just looking down at the, what is it called? Decrease of sprint speed. The way that they've identified that is called percent DSS. If you haven't read the article where it says, where it explains what that is, you're going to be lost. And there are some people who come up with their own uh, abbreviations for things like FFC and BFC. Do you know what those are? I have no idea. Exactly. Right. But according to Stephen Jones, it's front foot contact and back foot contact. Oh. And so there's two different things. And so, I mean, I scoured the internet looking for BFC and FFC. And then I asked him, I was like, did you make that up? And he was like, of course I made it up. You know, but without the context and the explanation of what it means, no one would really ever even know. But anyway, let's dive into this. Uh, we are looking at, again, load time and load speed relationship in the resisted sled sprint exercise. 
what independent variable most accurately determines the relative load? I mean, right there, that's a big sentence. Uh, they wanted to analyze the load speed, load time relationships using different variables as relative load and to estimate the decrement of speed sprint and the increase of sprint time across different loads. 30 young healthy men performed a progressive loading test in the counter movement jump to determine the load that elicited a two meters per second peak velocity, aka PB2 load, and in the full squat exercise to obtain the one rep max value and the load that elicited a one meter per second decrease velocity load. That was one of the things that when mm -hmm. I, you know, reading it and I'm looking back at this article and things that I circled was like, okay, uh, I like the fact that they had four familiarization sessions. I think that's huge strength yeah. coaches out there. Like they, they need to know what they're actually doing. Uh, I was sports science students with eight months of resistance training exercise. Um, right. The counter movement jump was on a Smith machine. It was loaded. Uh, it was interesting to see the, like you said, that uh, the two meters per second uh, peak value. I was like, oh, it's interesting that they actually, I was kind of proud of them for doing yeah. peak velocity with that and then average velocity down below. The only thing that I was like, e was the fact that it was 0 0.60 meters per second, which correlates to the 85. And it's like, I only know that because of me personally as an outlier. I've done a rep where the um, Tendo registered 0 0.10 or 0 0.089. Like, so I know that there's some variance out there. So like yeah. that was one of the things that I was like, ah, but there are three things being measured here, folks, counter movement, jump loading, uh, full back squat loading, and then a resisted sled sprint loading. Was the back squat loading on the Smith machine? What's up, strength coaches, taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Um, I was reading this right here. Yes. Yep. So the subject so, replaced upright on a Smith machine with feet shoulder width apart, barbell resting on the back, a chromium, um, 10 kilo, 10 kg increments until the mean propulsive velocity was, um, less than 0 0.60 meters per second. Okay. So right there, I mean, I personally don't like the Smith machine because it's isokinetic. It moves in its own path. Yeah. Even if the input vector, you know, since we're going to get biomechanicy here real quick, that's the science term, mm -hmm. biomechanicy. Um if you were pushing forward, if you had lateral as opposed to vertical displacement, it's still going to translate in a Smith machine as vertical along mm. its along its path. So, while people do have a natural like if you look at the bar path of a traditional back squat, that bar path moves, you know, and it moves because our bodies move. So I don't like that. I don't like the Smith machine for that. I would have probably opted since they're using a counter movement jump. I probably would have opted for a trap bar, low handle trap bar deadlift since it's, they quad. also did Smith machine for this uh, counter movement jump. I'm uh... Yeah. 
Interesting, because that's, I mean, that's how they're loading it. We do, when we do loaded jumps, we do them with the trap bar. Do you also do what they mentioned here? It said, from the position, subjects initiated a downward movement, reaching a squatting position with knee angle of about 90 degrees, although this angle for each individual subject was, you know, different. And it's like, that's something that in the research can get kind of lost in the weeds, I think. It can. And we need to be very clear about what the, if you're talking about the knee angle, just specifically just that knee, you need to take into consideration the tibia fibia angle in relation to the foot. That's a good point. Because, because you can have a 90 degree at the knee, but you're not below parallel with your thigh. And then the reason for that is because that knee in order to do that, you have to have a, uh, a good enough amount of dorsiflexion to get you into that 90 degree. Because even right now I'm standing here with the goni looking at when is my knee 90? My knee's 90, but I'm not in a, I'm not in a below parallel squat. So you have to be careful, you know, of what, what is that depth? Because if it's below parallel, then that's going to be a greater than 90 degrees at the knee. That's going to be more like 110. And that's what research has said, you know, like you're looking for the 110 to 130, 100 degrees to 130 gets you into that below parallel, if you will. But that's, again, based on dorsiflexion from tib-fib to... And that's interesting that they didn't even talk about that here. They said subjects... For this is for the full back squat. Subjects descended Mm -hmm. into a continuous motion till the top top of the thighs went below the horizontal plane with the posterior thighs and calf making contact with each other. So they could have actually used that, you know, 110, you know, 115. That that kind of sounds like they did because if if you're going to the plane... You know, and then again, what's below parallel? I mean, is it femur? You can't see that. Is it top of the quad, bottom of the hamstring? You can't, you can see those, but depending on muscular girth, it's going to be a different thing for each person. Someone who has massive quads, if their quad is the, or the bottom of the hamstring is touching parallel, the top may not be. So again, it's, you know, you kind of have to, some of this stuff is guesstimation, estimation, but trying to keep it as consistent as possible within those ranges of possibly 110 to 130 degrees. Which is also why I'm surprised, and I'm sure you are too, that they didn't use just, like you said, either a trap bar jump or a trap bar deadlift for the squat and the jump stuff, because for the progressive loading, they didn't use like a 1080. They just used a resisted sled um, as they said, a sled from ranking ranking is the company in Navarra, Spain was used and it had a belt at approximately the height of the center of the mast with a six meter long strap. So it's like, okay, if they didn't need to use a 1080, something super specific for the right. sprint, it's interesting that they did with a Smith machine for the other two, in my opinion. Yeah. And it, it, this is also the resisted sled. So they're out and sprinting. So they're dragging something. And I think that you can, you know, take those loads and extrapolate, you know, did they use, what did they get? Yeah, there you go. Speed time curves. That's what they're looking at. And they had kind of like what you guys talked about too. They had photo cell timing gates placed at zero, 10, 20. So they could do a uh, zero to 10 and a zero to 20 split. So those splits, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because 
show me on anybody else's reports, show me on anybody else's data. Like when they're talking about readiness and athlete monitoring, they're like, oh, here are your times. And they're showing you a trend. It's like, that's like looking at the stock market. What I want to see is I want to see the relative times between zero to 10 and 10 to 20 or whatever distance it is. And there's published data on that, that if you have a start, let's just say your acceleration is uh, a two, zero to 10 is a two second thing and zero uh, uh, 10 to 20 is uh, a one, you have what's called like a, a two in terms of that ratio. And that when you divide those by each other and research shows that people who have like a 1.3, like if your acceleration phase, you're the zero to 10 and the ratio of 10 to 20 equates to 1.3, that's like high level athletes. 1.5 seems to be around the average. And then two seems to be really slow. You know, there's very few research articles that cover this. Um, but those again like if you're looking at something like reactive strength index dynamic strength index strength to weight ratios power to mass ratios these are all ratios that people should be looking at in relation to their mass that they have and their one rep max because that'll determine what you should be training and what uh what your goals should be for that i hope that makes sense no that does um so let's jump into, I mean, we've kind of talked about what they assessed. We talked about who it was, statistical analysis. Well, let's look at the relative load, what they used for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yep. Because there's body mass. So you are you on the sprinting or the kind of right jump? I'm right above statistical analysis where okay. it says variables used for determining the relative load. This yeah. is again, this is something that, uh, yeah, this is where I was like, yep. okay, this is over my head. Thank you. Yep. This is, this is the coolest. This is what we do, right? We don't do, we, we do stuff that's based on body mass. We do stuff that's based on, uh, estimated one rep maxes for the day. We don't one rep max everybody every day. We have them do an isometric mid dipole and extrapolate those loads based on what their body mass is because sprint sprinting is based on body mass, right? You it's not so much based on your one rep max, but it's cool that they did this because different independent variables were used. A, body mass. B, one rep max value in the squat exercise. C, your one rep max plus your body mass. D, the velocity one load in the squat exercise. So that's the load that got them uh, a minus, a decrement. And then two, or G, yeah, no, F is the PB2 load in the counter movement jump. So that's uh, the peak velocity load that they did in the counter movement jump. And then G, I mean, there's all these different variables and it's smart because it's the peak velocity load plus their body mass. And that just right there, I mean, you have, what is that? G six, seven, seven. I don't know about anybody else listening, seven. but I have to go A, B, C, D, yes. E, F, G. Yep. Seven. Seven. And so the absolute loads used during the progressive loading test in the resisted sled sprint exercise were converted into relevant relative terms in relation to individual values obtained in each of the values described above. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. That is a massive sentence that I hope that they put a table somewhere 
that shows that because that would be super helpful to see what these yeah figure were. one has yep. seven of them uh with a <clears throat> whatchamacallit the different times as well as uh is it figure one regression table one figure one sorry figure one because table one is the just like uh, characteristics subjects characteristics uh yeah it is figure one so yeah it's it's these different groups so body mass what did they come out <sighs> now r squared sorry uh, i should contextualize my reaction the at zero it looks at zero percent of their body mass everybody seems very tight within the confines of the plot you know the error lines notice it's a it almost looks like an exponential curve curving up yes they all do for anybody yeah. that is uh yeah. listening right now and doesn't have it in front of them except for d it's pretty straight but like yeah, D's, a b D's curving up g the body mass and the pv2 load that's pretty straight steep yes that's a massive increase but if you notice all the r squares standard errors everything's are and i mean they're all within great ranges. I mean, 0.95, that's a strong correlation. So there is evidence. I mean, we see what a 0 0.86, 0 0.88, that's the one rep max estimated. Okay. V1 load is 0.873. And again, I mean, correlations don't necessarily mean that it means there's an impact that this stuff is having, but it doesn't mean it's the uh, direct cause of why we're seeing this. So so when you look at this, are you seeing G and being like, all right, man, the body mass plus the PV2 load has the strongest correlation? I do. I see that. And that's something. So in data analysis, we call it EDA, exploratory data analysis, where you take it all and you dump it into R, uh, R studio, and then output. You just kind of, you know, it's, it's the very first stages. You clean your data up, you dump it in, you look at it and say, hey, what are the trends? Are there things that I'm seeing here that... Uh, like I did that didn't pop out from the paper. Um, and that that's great. Sometimes sometimes you can see trends from the raw data, but it it doesn't really illuminate itself until you see it plotted. But like I look at this and I go, the peak velocity load, and that's from the counter movement jump, plus their body mass seems to have one of the strongest relationships here. And so what does that tell people? In a like in a sprint. Even though the peak velocity is from a counter movement jump, which is predominantly vertical displacement, sprints are horizontal displacement predominantly. Other people at could, first, especially, yep. Yeah, at first, at first, um, it's the horizontal displacement. But once you get going, it's a it's you know a combination of the vertical and horizontal working together. So you would kind of see that even at the lower ones, again, you know, the trends here is that at the lower at the lower percentages, you have a tighter constraint to the curvature of the line. Yeah. As you get farther, yeah, time. as you get farther away, it starts to open up and spread, which is consistent across all of them. So it You're kind right. of, it kind of goes back to, and this is what Verkashansky would talk about. Um, your, you know, your endurance athletes, strength for endurance athletes is around 40 to 60% and high reps. Bompa was the same, you know, you're looking at these low percentages, but doing high reps and it's translating to uh, sprint athletes out there. And again, I mean, you're seeing that even with this, 
is that anywhere up in like D, the peak velocity to load, the percentage of that at 60%, that's when it starts to spread. And so what would be, what are the takeaways from that? What would you take away from this? <clears throat> Shoot, that as it gets heavier, that it's completely even more and more individualized and variant. Correct, 100%. Like as, as the load gets heavier, it's less and less predictive of Correct. what will happen. Correct. So like if you're going to use the regression equation that they put up there, they've put the linear equation, which does, because it has a curvature, there's, is that quadratic? Because it is, because if you look at C, it's X squared to X. So that you, these are uh, quadratics. Yeah. Y equals 0 0.0010 X squared plus... Yep. 0.03151x plus the y-intercept, which is 2.9 something. But, you know, when you look at this, and I think that this is something that when it comes to sled sprints, because they're also looking at this as times, the times on the left. Axis, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. They're looking at a total time of your uh, 20 meter time sprint. And it's showing that, you know, you, you could even extrapolate from this, just these plots. We haven't even looked at their results yet. And we'll see if our conclusions from these plots mirror what their results are. But the coolest thing here is if you're going to sprint someone with resisted sled sprints, it looks to be just by body mass to load that sled with 40% would have, and that's, that's a relative load, Right. You're going to take yeah, a relative load of 40% of just their body mass gives you the closest, yep. like everybody is, you know, within the same ish time. But then I'd once say, it starts getting up to a hundred percent, like you said, a hundred percent is still a hundred percent of their body mass, correct. but there is such variance in, you know, one subject ran almost under seven and a half seconds, right? But somebody else over here is running, you know, nine seconds or even 10, uh, 10, five for yeah. somebody at like 85, 80%. 90%. And so again, I mean, these are, we have to, I mean, this is super deep because you have to back that up and ask yourself, okay, what is the quality that you're trying to, uh, what's the intent when mm. you're trying to elicit out of someone? Are you trying to elicit strength or speed? Yes. Correct. And so if you were to flip this graph to one of the strength, speed, speed, strength curves from say force velocity or load velocity, yeah. you're going to get a very similar plot here right? Where you could take, uh, it's saying, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a percent of the body mass, like at a hundred percent, pushing yourself at a hundred percent, that's going to be a strength speed versus at the bottom part of the curve where you're going to be more in the speed strength. There's going to be more speed out of that. So you could, in essence, coaches could take this information just from looking at these plots and say, Hey, sprinter, I want to see, uh, or Hey athlete, I want to, uh, find a, like where are you deficient in the zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, like, where are you deficient amongst those? Where, where do we need to improve? And then if you see someone based on what we said, those ratios of 10 to twenties being closer to 1.3, when you divide the 10 to 20 by the one to 20 to get that number, if you see that they're, they need acceleration work perhaps you would start with, you know, a 60% sled and have them do that for a certain amount of reps and then retest the zero to 10. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's also super interesting because like you said, with the spread, I mean, 0% body mass 
everybody's clustered right around three seconds. You go to 20%, still clustered yeah. uh, very tightly. But then again, as it just, as the load increases, the variance increases. And it's just like, man, it really makes you wonder about like, is it because of the training experience? Is it because of what they did or just like who they are? Because I go back to <clears throat> when I was on staff at Iowa, it was, um, myself, Nick DeMarco, Cody Myers, Joel Welsh, Mark Weissman, like the five of us were all different. DeMarco and right. uh, Weissman all had NFL careers. Yes, they got cut at the final round of cuts, but like their strength and their ability to still display great speed with higher loads mm-hmm. would be way better than mine. Or even like Joel, who was great at powerlifting, but like his, and it's just, it's so interesting because it is truly unique to the individual. And that's where, like you said, yes. Okay. Understand what are the norms, but then figure out like the higher level schools that have the ability to now start programming based off of what you see when you do these profile tests. Correct. That's the thing. I mean, you know, this is such a great article because again, it's about specificity, intent and specificity. When you have an individual who, you know, shows up and presents and whatever the assessment is, like we have a non-sports specific assessment that we utilize. And then we look at them from all of these different, you know, points, these data points, how they relate to each other. We don't just look at their absolute values. We look at the ratios of each of those things. And and, and when you plot those to see the correlation matrix, in the exploratory data analysis, if this sounds like it's a lot of big, difficult words, it took a long time to understand this stuff. And that's why we're sharing this with you so that you guys can start to begin to say. And that's also the point of this. And I'm going to, for uh, 20 seconds, like we're. What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information let's get back to the show so much of what we do as strength coaches i feel like we're dumbing shit down to get our athletes and coaches to understand it but if we don't ever actually have these high level conversations we we fucking make things worse so that's what this is here for like i said it at the beginning of this show 20 minutes ago that i had a hard time understanding this research article but i fucking read it and i talked about it with a colleague So that way I could better understand it. And now I'm a better practitioner. So hopefully you out there that are listening, yes, this should inspire you to do this same shit with your staff. Don't just let us kind of get you inspired to do this. Sorry. No, I mean, it's it's 100% true. Like, I love these conversations because I don't know anything, to be honest. Like, when I walked into DataViz, I was like, what's a stat? You know what I mean? Like they had, we had to learn statistics first before we could do data visualization, which statistics was a nightmare. But the thing is, is when you like, cause I was afraid of it and I didn't want to look stupid, but the thing is, is ask a lot of questions. And that's why when you discuss things and you look at things like this, you can start to ask these questions and not be afraid to look dumb. Because the thing is, when you begin to understand it, you don't look dumb 
you're helping people and leaving it better than you found it is the idea here. And so I look at this again, you know, let's just go back to it. The relative loads and they're based on body mass. They're based on expressions. You know, I would love to see this redone using an isometric mid thigh pull, right? Mm, just, just yeah. as, or a belt squat. Um, you know, there's, you could recreate some of these things, but again, like the loads that are showing up here are based on percents of something based on another metric. And they do have a high level of correlation. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the main thing influencing it, but it is something, it's a starting point where you can say, Hey, you know, when you see those videos of guys pushing sleds, I've done it myself, the 695 pound sled push, and you're moving it at like half a meter per second, like a choo-choo train going, choo, choo, choo. it may be an amazing feat of athleticism, but what is it getting me in terms of developing sports performance? And that's where it's interesting too. Like if we actually just take, you know, listen to what we just talked about for the last 27 minutes and then think like, okay, real, just simplistically, it's like, okay, if I'm an outsider, you're like, wait a minute, Justin and Greg, the variable here that is equated to the greatest velocity. So body mass plus their, the load that elicited a peak velocity of 2.0, right? The one that got them mm -hmm. closest to that. The fastest thing is the one that is the closest predictor to sprint speed. It's like, well, fuck sprint speed and that they're, yeah. they're the closest. It should make sense, right? Like, well, here's the interesting thing. Let's scroll down to the load velocity profile, right? Just one more down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and remember, Figure us, two. remember the load velocity thing that I said, if we plotted this and looked at the curve, this yep. matches perfectly. This matches, ab I mean, and they're all 0.9, R squared of 0 0.9, 0.94. Yeah, right. Like you got to start going 9, to the 3. fact of the set, the, the hundredth place of 9.5, 9.4, yeah, 9.3. I mean, I mean, even these are 9.4, but it's a 9.49. Nine, so you could say that it's a 9.5. Right? Well, in the scheme of, you know, running 40s, you know, he runs a 3.22, right? He runs a four, 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 whatever, right? Like you're out in the thousandth place getting there. It's nuts, you know, and this has 360 people and N of 360 participants N equals participants. Um, that was because it was the 30 people under all the 12 different loads, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's phenomenal because again, you are seeing the biggest, the tightest of these curves is all within zero to 40. It would be great to do like error calculations on zero to 20, 20 to 40, 40 to 60. Error calculations means uh, of the samples that you have, how many are away from the trend line and by how much, what percentage is away from that line. I hope that makes sense. Because um, again, it's still really tight. You have very few outliers that are outside of that outliers are things that are outside of the norm. And you set those error bars, by the way. Yeah, no, I mean, like you said, the, when you flip it for the load velocity, like, yeah, this, uh, it's like you said, it's so interesting. Where'd you go? Still there with me? Apparently I am. I have no idea what just happened there. Um, you got so excited, got so excited you ripped the cables out. Yeah, apparently. All right. Well, here's um, the thing. We've spent, oh, okay. The, we spent so much time talking about this. I just got to the references. And of course, 
the classics who did a lot of this work, J.B. Morin, you know, we're looking at spring mass model characteristics during sprint running. Um, yeah, more... I actually highlighted number 18, Martinez, Valencia, yep. the uh, di- interrelationship between different loads and resisted sprints and the yep. half squat 1RM. Kawamori um, is a good one. The Jimenez Reyes. I mean, there's a Jimenez ton. Reyes. That's really good. I used a lot of that with my. Uh... Yeah. And it, and we're not and you know this is not to say that any of the other people listed are not good. It's just that in the scheme of you know us looking at things repeatedly, you see names pop up uh, that stand out. Well, the thing that I was saying before I stuttered and then the the microphone went all wookie on me was the fact that as a strength coach, like there was this big, there was this big misnomer for a while about like um, nothing above hundred or ten percent of body weight because it's going to totally mess up their mechanics. And then the pendulum almost swung in the opposite direction, and it's like, well, it needs to be heavy as fuck for horizontal displacement. Yeah. And it was like, you know, hundred percent body weight and greater. And yep. now it's like you know, reading this, it's like, Hey man, like I, I keep going back to what Cam Joss had talked about before, where it's like, figure out what they're, give them 20 yards to yep. to run. And then whatever load allows them to get there in five seconds will kind of determine how heavy it needs to be. Like it, it, depending on the, the issues that your athletes have, I know I'm bastardizing what you've said before, Cam, I will go back and review it in fundamentals. But that is just something that it might have been the coaches for versus COVID thing. But that's what's kind of in my head right now of like, okay, how can we seamlessly translate this for coaches? So what would you say? Like, what would be your practical application for coaches that have listened to us this far? Okay, what do I do with all of this, guys? Like, that's great. What do I do? I mean, the super simple thing, I think what you were saying about Cam's approach to it, it's everybody has a different approach to what is the question is what's the right load? Right. And everyone's approach to that is going to be different. I think uh, from what you explained, it seems like we're going at it a different way. It's almost like Guthrie's uh, find a load that knocks 30% off your jump. Right. So it's that while it's find a load, that's a deterministic thing that an athlete has to do as a practitioner. I want to be able to prescribe a specific load to them. And I would do that relative to a few things. First would be a percent of their body weight and time that to see what the difference is between 10, 20, 30, 40% of their body weight based on what the research said here. The other thing is I would do uh, an isometric mid dipole and extrapolate what their estimated one rep max would be. And then I would apply 10, 20, 30, 40% and compare those. That right there is a research study. You know, we can eat, we could easily be like, okay, do these loads correlate? Do these loads come together? And if they do, then you could say using this article, you could literally build upon this article for the practical applications for coaches. Cause that's what people want to know. They don't want to have, they want, I'm not saying people don't want to do the work to see this, but coaches just like sport coaches, sport coaches don't need to hear, you know, readiness. They just want to know, are my guys good to play? Can they get out there and crush it? Are they going to effectively execute? Some coaches may want to get more into it, But with this, what does a strength coach want? They want to know how to prescribe loads to elicit changes to better support the sport that they are a strength coach for. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a weird weird sentence. But I mean, it says it here in their practical applications. 
however, if there is no possibility to objectively and accurately measure peak velocity load or velocity one load, body mass could be used as a variable to determine relative load. So right there, that's a great, powerful sentence. They, if you don't have the ability to measure peak velocity for the jump or the velocity-based load, which would be velocity-based training or using force plates, um, you could use percent body mass. And I guarantee everyone has a scale and a calculator and they know how much their athletes weigh because we weigh ours in when they come in before session and we weigh them before they go out. So we know what they weigh when they walk in. And then you could easily be like, here, put 20% on there. And then you could create a, a sprinting strategy, you know, put 20%. First week, maybe it's a 10% sled. Second week, 20. Third week, 30. Then give them sprints on the fourth week, a deload week, using a same, you know, periodization model. Then go back and do 15, 25, 35 and then sprint them again and then let them compensate before competition. That would be, I mean, you, that's literally what a six week, seven week plan right there. Yeah. You know? And again, this is, you know, we're, you and I were talking about Bondarchuk yesterday, like the transfer of this, you, it's about transferring what you're doing and training to the sport. So if they're sprinters, we don't need them to be long distance runners, but let's, 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 try this and there's always going to be an athlete who doesn't respond to this kind of dosing this kind of programming uh and then that's where our job comes in you know amen to that well like i said folks i had my rant about 10 minutes ago hopefully that this has provided some insight for you guys we've been diving down the most recent uh journal of strength and conditioning research from the nsca greg you want to go from here again next week what do you want to do brother what do you think I really want uh, to talk about that turf thing that you brought up because just what they're moving people to artificial turf in uh, English Premier League and more people are popping their hammies like live on okay. live on TV. Yeah. So I just I mean, when you were talking about that, the difference between uh, artificial and natural that's turf, actually in this one here. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think that's a legit thing because I want to know I want to know if more people are pulling their hammies for either from overuse or if it really is dependent on, uh, I think you're going to be disappointed when you read the study. Well then let's be disappointed together. Let's be disappointed together folks. But hopefully we have not disappointed you on this research Tuesday, Tuesday, November 21st in the year 2023. Listen to this when you're driving home from work about to go on your Thanksgiving break. We appreciate all you do working with your athletes. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy.